everybody. Welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I'm also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Um, I'm going to start off today with a song, and then we're going to talk about uh, seasonal affective disorder, which is, uh, we'll learn more about that. I have a special guest therapist coming on today. I'm going to start off with a song, get people on, set the tone, and then we'll introduce our special guest and kind of get starting. Let's see here. Turn my mic on. Uh, this song is called I See You Among the Stars. for 
Let's sing that as a startup song. It's called I See You Among the Stars. Let me just turn off my mic here. We're going to have Mallory Dahl on. Hi. Hi, Jessica. How are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And, you know, I do want to congratulate you. 50 episodes. Hard to believe that the pandemic has stretched it to that point. But that's an amazing feat. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, well, I, I really appreciate, you know, like I was saying, this is a lot of my clients are uh, feeling this. I think I might be feeling a little of it. And I really wanted to share with people, you know, ways to kind of look out for this and what to do about it. So I think I'll just kind of open it up with a big question, you know, kind of a broad question for you and then let you talk and then we'll kind of go from there. Perfect. So what is seasonal affective disorder? So really what we know about seasonal affective disorder is that it's characterized as a depressive disorder. So it's kind of under that categorization of different depressive disorders. It's often a certain criteria that you have to meet. And that being that you would have to have symptoms of depression for about two years from a diagnostic standpoint. But what it really has to do with is these seasonal changes. Many of us are experiencing darker days, <laughs> longer nights. And with that brings about, for some people, difficulty regulating internal systems. So essentially, seasonal depressive disorder is categorized under a depressive disorder, and it has to do with seasonal shifts. We primarily think of this when we're making that transition from summer to fall or winter. Mm -hmm. However, it's also common that some people may experience when I think of Lana Del Rey, the song Summertime Sadness. So occasionally people will actually experience those depressive symptoms in the summer as opposed to winter. But the main criteria is that it has to do with these seasonal shifts. Okay. And so what, you know, what are some of the specific, you, you know, said there was sort of a list of markers that can be there. What, what's on that list? Absolutely. So it's interesting, just as I mentioned, as there are two different types of kind of seasonal patterns that you may be experiencing. If you're experiencing them in the winter, you will be feeling fatigue, maybe so social isolation and withdrawal. You're gonna be feeling more of that sadness and that loneliness. We also see a lot of overeating and a craving for carbohydrates, which likely has to do with our internal processes as opposed to those who are experiencing it in the summertime. If you're having seasonal affective disorder that's congruent with spring or summer months, mm -hmm. you might be experiencing more anxiety, irritability, hyposomnia, so meaning you're having difficulty sleeping and you're feeling maybe a little bit more erratic as opposed to the wintertime where you're likely feeling a lot more subdued and withdrawn. Okay, um, and what can you talk a little bit to why is that? What happens, you know, in our external world that did impacts our internal experience and, their, and then our moods? Absolutely. Great question. It's really crazy, that mind-body connection. And I think it can be so easy to want to forget that, particularly as we're going into the winter months. I mean, nobody wants to be up and doing things. We're almost mammalian in that fact that we want to hibernate. But what happens is, when we enter the winter or fall months, mm -hmm. we're experiencing darkness for longer periods of the day. This affects what we call our circadian rhythm. So our circadian rhythm really is our kind of internal clock. It's why we 
evolutionarily were processed to wake up when the sun is out and go to sleep mm -hmm. when it's dark. Now that it's becoming darker longer, we're, it's sending signals to our brain that we need to go to sleep. It actually increases a chemical that we all have called melatonin. So with increases of melatonin, we're going to want to sleep longer. We're going to feel fatigued. It also affects serotonin. So serotonin is kind of the drug in our brain that regulates our moods. Mm -hmm. There's actually a decrease in serotonin with the winter and the fall months. So that decrease naturally drops our mood. And although we don't totally know how sad comes about, it is hypothesized at this point that it has to do with drops in serotonin, increases in melatonin, mm -hmm. difficulties regulating this circadian rhythm. And it's really hypothesized that people who are experiencing this have difficulty regulating these internal processes. Okay, got it. That's really helpful. Um, so, so then kind of taking the, you know, the, the more winter to spring summer transition, mm -hmm. then that would kind of be the opposite thing, right? Or maybe those, what happens there? What's the mechanism there? Absolutely. So we see that almost reverse, that opposite. Mm -hmm. more sunlight, we're going to feel potentially increases in serotonin and decreases in melatonin. So you're going to feel that hyposomnia. You're going to want to be running around doing all these things. Increased mood, although we generally think of that as a good thing, for people who have difficulty regulating their chemicals in their brains in general, which can be helped through medicine or through talk therapy. Mm -hmm. Those people that have difficulties regulating these internal processes are going to feel maybe a little more erratic, a little out of control. You'll feel that irritability. So what's really interesting, and I think that people don't understand about depression, is that it can present as irritability or maybe that impulsivity. We're thinking usually, okay, you're withdrawn, you're not engaging, but it's actually quite the opposite. And so people that experience this in the summer months, I would say anxiety and irritability is a little bit more common and I think can often be misdiagnosed because people don't necessarily understand how depression can present for different people. So that, you know, um, that kind of makes me think about how do you, I know that, uh, you know, somebody can help somebody with figure this out, but what is, what is the difference between somebody who may just be, how do you know if it's just, I have depression versus seasonal affective disorder, or I have anxiety versus this is really related to the, se the seasons? How do you tease that out? I'm not going to say it's easy or necessarily <laughs> black and white, mm -hmm. but I do think that when it comes to seasonal affective disorder, we know from a diagnostic standpoint that in order to meet criteria for SAD, you have to be having these difficulties with either depression or maybe the irritability, whatever season it is, these manifest during a certain season and they almost completely go into remission or disappear by the next. Mm -hmm. So that's how we're able to tell that there's that difference because someone who may be experiencing more chronic depression will have those feelings throughout the year regardless of season. So we're really looking for the onset so when they come about and the remission, as in when they disappear. When you're talking about things such as, okay, how do we know if this is maybe anxiety versus sad? Mm -hmm. I think that's where you have to look at, are my behaviors changing 
in congruence with the seasonal pattern? Or is this kind of my baseline? And I think that's where maybe seeking help from a mental health professional or yes. a trained therapist, they're hopefully going to be able to explain things to you, diagnose things in a way that is more tangible and you're able to understand them a little bit more. I think WebMD, Google, stay away from those. If you think you might be experiencing some difficulties, that's time to reach out. And I think when we're looking at what delineates depression in general, what we really want to look at is, are my behaviors, are my thoughts, are my feelings, are these different than what they used to be? Mm -hmm. And one really good marker, I would say, of noticing when something might be wrong is looking at what we call your activities of daily living. Mm -hmm. So are you able to engage in your normal hygiene? Can you engage with the people, your social circle that you maybe were previously? Can you go to work or school? Whatever it may be. If you're noticing these shifts in behaviors where you're not able to engage in your life the way that you may be used to, that's when that's a warning sign. And we might be needing to look at more professional levels of help. You know, one of the things that um, I often ask my clients to do who are coming to me with, you know, anxiety or feelings of sadness is to try to keep a, a calendar using the tracking app and, mm -hmm. because it can be hard to tell from day to day, you know, how was I feeling a week ago or how was I feeling a month ago? I'm not sure. And so just even having a prompt, something that may give you an alarm every morning or evening and say, just do a quick check-in with what your mood is like today. Were you able to do those things? Or even if you were able to go to work, you know, were you able to focus while you were at work? Or did you have a hard time engaging? Those types of things to keep track of them because sometimes it can be really evident. Sometimes it can be more subtle over time. You know, Jessica, I think that's a great point. I really encourage utilizing apps or even I'll provide my clients with worksheets, albeit as I'm sure you're experiencing, it's a little hard when it's virtual and you're saying yeah. something <laughs> over email, but you're absolutely right. How can we know when our mood is fluctuating if we're never really paying attention to it? I'll ask my clients sometime, how, how did you feel this morning when you got up? They'll have no idea half the yeah. time because especially in this fast paced westernized society and culture, we're expected to push ourselves by productivity, and that's our marker of success. Well, if we're never really checking in with ourselves, how can we really know if we're optim optimally functioning? It can be really hard. So I love that you brought that up. I think apps are a really great way too. Some have little check-ins that you can do daily, just as you said, and I think that's a good physical marker, a tangible activity that people can have that they can look at and see maybe if their mood or their behaviors are fluctuating. Yeah, and it's also a great record for your therapist or doctor to have too, to be able to look at that and see the trends. Um, mm. what, so going back to, you know, how the mood shifts with the season and like you were saying, there's definite markers. That's what we're looking for is markers. If this is really correlated with changing of the season, do you find that people may acclimate that they're, you know, this is a, a mood a hormone kind of regulatory issue. Do you find that people acclimate as time goes on or will this last with you all winter or all summer? How does that look? So if we're looking at a sad standpoint, if someone is experiencing seasonal affective disorder, I think there are absolutely tools and techniques that can help regulate the irregularity. Mm -hmm. But for someone who is struggling with those issues, 
they're not going to completely go into remission. Uh -huh. I do think that medication can be beneficial, but that's something you absolutely want to speak about with your primary care physician or psychiatrist, whomever you may be seeing. It's always good, I think, to have treatment providers be able to discuss with one another to see if there are improvements, because although medication can be beneficial, as we know, there can also be side effects. And I think that there are some more holistic treatment modalities that can be infused. But as far as completely going away, I think it would be naive to say that that was potentially possible, but I do think there are ways to manage it. And I don't think that it's a death sentence. One thing that I think is really important in general in mental health is normalizing fluctuating emotions, normalizing mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. It is not a death sentence. And it doesn't mean that your life is in ruins because you may be experiencing depression. I try to remind my clients that they are themselves, they are their person, and they have this condition that's going on with them, but the condition doesn't have them. And I think that's a really important distinction to kind of encourage clients and to encourage people to understand that despite difficulties going on, there are always tools that we can use to help manage them, even if they don't go completely into remission. Yeah, well, and you know, one thing too that I think is important to remember is that mental health is always on a spectrum. There's different levels of severity. So sometimes there may be symptoms that are milder and sometimes more severe. It's never you either have this or you don't totally. It's you might have some of this or some of that shift. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I, I want to talk to and kind of go down um, ways to address it or treat it. Um, but first, one thing I wanted to make sure to spend time on is potential relationship between substance use and seasonal affective disorder, either mm -hmm. its role in, you know, maybe inducing some of those moods or as a way of coping with it. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. So one thing that I think a lot of mental health professionals have run into, particularly with COVID and the pandemic, mm -hmm. some of these isolated behaviors, they're really increasing substance abuse use, particularly mm -hmm. alcohol. You know, I think alcohol in Western culture is already normalized to an extent that can be problematic, but now people are using it as a coping mechanism, maybe to not have to feel the negative things that they're feeling. One problem is that for those who may be utilizing alcohol or other substances, alcohol more congruent with depressant substances, mm -hmm. if you're using a depressant when you're already feeling depressed, you may be able to numb or stave off those feelings for a little while, but eventually, you know, when you wake up the next day or when you have a moment of clarity, all those are going to come back tenfold because you're exhausting basically all of the potential happy chemicals as we call them in your brain because you're numbing them you're literally basically taking them out so when we're using those kinds of things to cope rather than maybe more healthy pro-social skills you might feel a temporary relief but unfortunately in the long run they're really just exacerbating symptoms and kind of continuing that depressive cycle as opposed to eradicating them right it kind of becomes a vicious cycle i mean and i think it's important to also kind of notice that look at your substance use you know are you using more you, you may not be aware that you are using it to cope with how mm -hmm. you're feeling but you know if you find that you're using substances or drinking more there's that may be part of what's going on is you're self-medicating in a sense just to try to feel a little bit better and that can be another sign that something there is going on 
Absolutely. I think one really good uh, indicator as well, besides maybe even physically or notating your intake and is it fluctuating? Is it changing? I think it's important to notice, okay, something good happens to you. So you get a promotion at work, you and your intimate partner are in a really good place, something exciting. How are you celebrating? Okay, now the reverse happens. Say you're getting laid off or your hours are getting cut back. You got in a fight with your spouse or friend. How are you coping with that? If you're using similar mechanisms to celebrate and to cope, there's definitely a problem there. And that's something really that we wanna be looking at because just as you said, it can be such a cycle. And we really wanna, we wanna provide some education as to why that may be not the best coping mechanism that you could be utilizing. Yeah, so, so going down then, you know, what are some things kind of starting with, you know, if, if somebody is kind of learning about this and they're relating to this, what are some things that they could initially try by themselves to integrate, to try to treat some of these symptoms? Absolutely. Well, I think particularly now, you know, Chicago area in particular, we are going back into lockdown, you know, that's looming in the future. So mm -hmm. I think it's really important right now for us to have tangible things that we can do, that we can utilize and implement on our own. Part of the treatment that I use at the Chicago Counseling Center is cognitive behavioral therapy. Therapy. So that's mm -hmm. something where we're looking at our, how our thoughts and our behaviors and our feelings, they're all connected. Huh? A lot of times people try to approach the cognitions a little bit more or initially. So how am I thinking? Can I change those thoughts? And if I change those thoughts, will they change how I behave or feel? Can you give an example, a short example of that? Absolutely. So if we're thinking about sad in general, you might be thinking, I don't want to get out of bed. You're having this thought, you're going over it and over it and over it in your head. Your brain will start to send signals essentially to your body. Okay, you know what, I'm tired. I, I don't want to get out of bed. Your behavior then becomes, I'm not getting out of bed. Mm -hmm. You're feeling because you're lethargic and you're not doing anything will then naturally and consequently be depressed or sad, mm -hmm. lack of motivation. So as you can see, they're all kind of interconnected to one mm -hmm. another and they bounce off one another in different ways. So part of CBT is looking at that thought, maybe challenging it. So mm -hmm. say, I don't want to get out of bed today. Well, let's look at the rational consequences. You don't get out of bed. Do you miss a project at work? Mm -hmm. Do you miss time with your family or your spouse? Looking at those consequences. Okay, would it be good for me? Or do I need a mental health day? Because let's not knock that either. That might yeah. be the case. But it's good to kind of question those things. And although one tactic is to kind of put the thought on trial, as we say, in CBT, sometimes it's a little bit easier to be looking at a behavior. So part of something that you can do yourself is what we call behavior activation. So this is where you're changing a behavior in the hopes that your thoughts or your feelings will also change. Mm -hmm. So for example, it's a little bit hard, you know, when our workspace and our home space are all in one now. Yeah. It, it, it can feel really, really hard to get away. So you wake up in the morning, you do your thing, you go to work, after work, maybe every day, you pour yourself a glass of wine and you watch TV 
for a couple hours. Maybe you make a microwave meal and then you go to bed and you wake up the next day and you do it all over again. Mm -hmm. I would say that's kind of a pretty common occurrence that people are doing right now. Yeah. And although you might not necessarily think that the behavior is inherently bad, because every once in a while, we all love watching our favorite show. But when we're continuously doing that, we might actually be kind of exacerbating our feelings of depression. So when we're looking at behavior activation, we want to take a behavior that we're doing and specifically change it. So I like to infuse some pleasant activity scheduling. This is also congruent with CBT, and it's an option for you to pick an activity, something that we usually want to be healthy. And I don't mean in the sense of, okay, you need to be working out, but I mean healthy in the sense of what's going to make you feel good that isn't a substance or that isn't potentially harming to yourself. Uh -huh. So say you really haven't caught up with a girlfriend, a guy friend in a while, um, you want to maybe schedule like a FaceTime. That's something that I think a lot of people are using a little bit more these days. Mm -hmm. So you literally schedule out, okay, at 6 p.m. I'm going to call Bob and going to talk to them for 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it may be. I even like to make contracts with my clients because I've noticed I'm guilty of it too the first person that we're gonna let down is ourselves. The mm -hmm. first person we're gonna break a promise to is ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if you make that commitment, you make that promise, you're you, literally engaging in behavior activation because you're changing a behavior and maybe the conversation makes you feel good. Maybe it doesn't make you feel good, but it's a change in behavior. And then we wanna look at, okay, how are my feelings after that? How are my thoughts after that? And each day kind of scheduling these new activities, whatever it may be, cooking, knitting, doing a puzzle, something that makes you feel good to see, okay, you know, maybe getting out of this funk or this routine that I've been in is actually kind of going to help me in the long run. Uh-huh. That's great. And I, I really like the example you gave of calling somebody up and connecting that with um, the sort of the accountability. You've got somebody who's counting on you and you've told them you're going to do something and that's something that people can do you know, you don't need a therapist to make a promise to, you know, you could, you and a friend could kind of have a thing going on where every week we're going to do a Wednesday and we're going to keep our, each other the standing date and kind of hold each other accountable in a way, but hopefully it'll be an enjoyable yes. kind of thing. You know, I even think particularly for a pandemic, you know, maybe on Friday nights you used to get together with your guy friends or your girlfriends and now that's not really an option for you. But who says it can't be an option? You know, I think you can still be doing these virtual parties in a sense. Yeah. All of you get together still. Make that commitment to each other. Make a time. If you were seeing each other once a month, why can't you still be seeing each other once a month over the screen? I guarantee that it will, it may not be as great as giving your friend a hug or being able to see them in person. Yeah. But the reality is this is where we're at right now. And it can still be a really fun way to get together with your friends, see them. Maybe you all have a favorite show that you like to watch. You can all watch it together mm -hmm. through Zoom or through FaceTime, or even I know now they kind of have some virtual games that you can be playing with people. Uh -huh. yeah. so put it up on a screen, all get together, and you can still be playing from your phone. It's a way where you're still getting that engagement and that connection, because yeah. that's something that's gonna be really, really important especially as we get deeper into winter yes. and a little more into lockdown.
Definitely. Well, so here's a question. I mean, so kind of with this idea of activating a behavior and then kind of seeing what is the, what is the chain that flows from that? Do, do I feel better? Are my thoughts improving? Is my mood improving? I do have clients who have trouble kickstarting. You know, they may say, I know I feel better when I take a walk. I know I feel better when I get in the shower and when I cook myself a meal, but I'm having a really hard time just getting myself to do that. What would you recommend for somebody who knows these things rationally, but they have a hard time actually implementing the behavior change? I'm really glad you brought that up because I think in hindsight, we all know the things that are going to make us feel better. Mm -hmm. So why don't we always do the things that right. make us feel good? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> life is not that easy. It's not that straightforward. So one thing I really like to utilize with clients and with myself are what we call SMART goals. So these are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time-sensitive goals. Mm -hmm. So it's an acronym, um, which I'm willing to share, you know, on my own page as well. Mm -hmm. But these SMART goals are really little baby steps to get you to maybe the bigger step. So maybe, okay, getting in the shower in the morning, that's really hard for you. You're feeling so lethargic each morning that to even think of doing that is difficult. Okay, we're not gonna start with the shower, but we are gonna start with basic hygiene that should be done and needs to be done so that we are feeling a little bit better. So maybe I'm gonna wash my face every day this week for a minute, or mm -hmm. I'm gonna brush my teeth Monday through Friday for a minute and a half. You can set your timer. You can make a little goal sheet. And what we're really hoping to do is to be able to have small achievable goals that make us feel good. You know, if you're having trouble getting out of bed, showering, making your meals, you don't wanna say, okay, I'm going to get up at six, work out, make myself a healthy breakfast, mm -hmm. go to work for eight hours and no, because you're not going to be able to make that goal and then you're actually going to feel worse about yourself right. because you didn't achieve that goal. So we want to do goals that mean something to us, but are also measurable enough so that we can be feeling little amounts of success each day because that's what it really boils down to. Making yourself feel good and doing things that are really beneficial for you. And if that's little baby steps along the way, that's a success. And we want to be encouraging that and noticing that. So trying to do things that aren't so overwhelming and being really specific about them and kind of baby stepping your way maybe towards something if that's successful. So what would you say to somebody who, you know, there's this sort of action plan, behavioral, addressing things in a behavioral way. What if someone's like, this just isn't working. I just can't get myself to, you know, it's, it's feeling more severe than that. I just can't even get myself to wash my face. I don't care. I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. you know, what, what would you recommend for somebody then? Absolutely. So if you're noticing that your feelings are maybe a little more acute than what you once thought, they're staying around for longer. They're really affecting those activities of daily living that I was mentioning, those things that most of us can't achieve in a day. That's absolutely one you want to seek help from a mental health professional. Sometimes your primary care physician has someone that they may know that you can reach out to. Um, sometimes you just need to do your own research because one thing that's really important is that you want to have a connection with your therapist or your counselor, whomever it may be, and they want to have a connection with you as well. 
So if it's not a good fit, you know, we want to make sure that we're encouraging that they move on as well. But if you're noticing that you're not able to kind of infuse little steps for yourself, I think that's a really good indicator that, okay, maybe I do need to seek these higher levels of care. Yeah. And so for, you know, if you're noticing that for about what, how long of a period of time would you recommend that's the point at which you would want to say like a week, two weeks, something like that, where if it's going on for that long, that's when you'd like good to take that next step. Right. Right. I would say, I mean, it's kind of difficult to say, but depending on the severity, Mm -hmm. I would say around two weeks. If Mm -hmm. you're noticing for that two weeks, things are just not coming together for you. You really are feeling overwhelmed. Don't put yourself through the agony of waiting around to see if it sticks because whether it does or it doesn't, I don't really think there's any harm in at least reaching out because therapists are trained to be able to give clients tools and techniques that they can use in their everyday lives. We want our clients to be their own therapists at the end of the day. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't want to hijack their lives and make them stick around with us forever. So regardless of the duration that you're in therapy, hopefully it's a beneficial experience and you learn something regardless of whether or not your symptoms remiss. Absolutely. And and the other thing to keep in mind too, is that you may be feeling this way for some time and then decide to, you know, make an appointment, which is great. But then sometimes there's a little bit of a gap between when you actually get to see somebody and then there's a little bit of a process for them to get to know you. So that's another, I think, kind of, encouragement argument to do it sooner than later because it's you don't want to find yourself one two months and you're still kind of feeling like you're not sure what to do with this and feeling worse and worse absolutely just as you said there is that little process where you have to actually make the appointment you have to go through the intake session which is a lot of paperwork and a lot of information gathering and it takes a little while to build that therapeutic alliance that rapport which is truly the foundation of any successful therapy so it's going to take a little time but i have run into a lot and i'm sure you have with your clients as well making that initial call usually makes the client feel better meeting for the first time can be so cathartic and yes. beneficial because a lot of people aren't taking times for themselves. It's crazy that even though we're in the, these unprecedented times right now, people are still, as I say, shooting all over themselves. Uh-huh. They think they should be able to do all these different things. But in reality, there is nothing wrong with get, gaining tools. I really see it as gaining tools for your toolbox to be able to help you navigate life, whether it's through this difficult time or through difficult times to come in the future. Absolutely. And even just having, I mean, this is part of why I wanted to do this. Even just having a name, this exists. This is a thing that people experience can be so helpful and be okay. Like I, there are ways to deal with this and there's sort of an established, you know, body around the study of this. And, um, even that, can be so helpful to just get started. One of the things I just want to um, say right now is for anybody listening, I did a whole episode of this show on how to find a therapist. It's episode number 33, but I go through, you know, you're talking about you may not have a direct connection or a referral to somebody, but there's there's ways that, you know, spaces that can be better ways to, avenues to find somebody. So uh, check out that episode if you want to look for some more detail about that. So moving forward a little bit more, um, can you talk about, um, you know, the medication 
aspect or the medication treatment of this? What might mm -hmm. constitute that being an appropriate step? What does that look like? Absolutely. So right now there are, I would say primarily three different routes of treatment for those experiencing SAD. Mm -hmm. As I said, research right now is, I would say probably at the beginning stages, just as you said, we know now that SAD is something, which I also want to point out that women are actually disproportionately affected by SAD as opposed to men. Four out of five women are actually likely to experience these symptoms at one or more time of their life. So, and also it's important to note that people between ages 18 and 30 are actually experiencing these symptoms more. So really that young adult population who's already struggling in terms of identity and all these other kind of issues through development, they can be exacerbated by SAD. So it's kind of important to know those key markers as well. If you're feeling that, that may be why. When we're looking at treatment right now, light therapy is one. Uh -huh. So as I said, our circadian rhythms kind of get out of whack when we're going into the darker days, the longer nights. So light therapy has actually been found to be effective. You can literally just type in to Google light for light therapy. Mm -hmm. They pop up on Amazon, Target, they're pretty much at any department store. Mm -hmm. And that can maybe be a quick fix if you're looking to see if that might be beneficial. When we're looking at medications right now, the primary medications are SSRIs. So these are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Fancy terminology for essentially saying that it's going to help increase your access to your serotonin. So there's a common misconception that people think that if you're experiencing depression or sad, you don't have enough serotonin, that thing that regulates your mood and makes you feel better. In reality, you likely have enough serotonin, but your brain, for whatever reason, isn't able to access it. So SSRIs make that a little bit easier, and that may be a form of treatment. I think that is a good way to manage maybe more acute, severe levels of depression. But when I was talking about the longevity of treatment, when we want things that are going to help us more long-term, I think it's a really good idea to seek out a mental health professional who can give you different techniques, different tools, yes. some that we have discussed here today that can help you as far as maintaining those kind of more optimal levels of well-being. Yes, and you know, I think most therapists and, and I think most people who are struggling with something like this really prefer to think of medication as more of a down the road resort that it's we want to try these other sorts of behavioral techniques or these other types of changes or, or talk therapy or whatever to see if that can be effective and if those things really aren't working or just feeling too acute then maybe that will be an appropriate next step that's not something people tend to lead to right away. So if anybody's nervous, I have a lot of clients who get nervous about, you know, I want to come to therapy, but I don't want medication, that that's generally not how most, I find not people tend to work is pushing that on you. And if, if they are, then you can look for somebody else. Be more comfortable. Absolutely. With that. That's a, I'm glad that you said that. That's a concern if someone is pushing you towards medication because you want to meet the client where they're at regardless. I don't think it's necessarily 
a bad thing mm -hmm. to utilize medication, but that's something that you need to explore for yourself and mm -hmm. you need to speak with professionals who can guide you towards the answer that best works for you. If anyone's ever pushing anything on you, that's likely a sign that maybe that's not the right relationship for you. Yeah. Let's see, I have um, anybody who's watching now, I invite you to ask any questions that you might have. Um, I think I have, let me just check my list here. This is, this is not probably an easy question to answer, but, you know, this is a really strange year, as we all know, and it's going to be a very, it is starting, and it's going to be a very strange holiday season, a very strange winter. How, how would a person kind of, it's normal to a certain degree to be sad this, this year. I mean, it's right. weird. We can't do the things that we normally can, and we didn't get to sort of fill our, fill our summer cup this year in the ways that people in <laughs> Chicago usually do. And so a certain amount of this is a totally reasonable response to the limitations and the sadness and everything that's going on in the world right now. And so how do you, I mean, again, I know this is a big, a big question and it's not one that there's an easy answer to, but how would you talk to somebody about differentiating? Like this is, this is a sad time versus, you know, seasonal affective disorder being something more specific or how do you tease those out, I guess? Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. And that this year has been bizarre for so many of us. And I'm sure that you can attest to as well. Many of my clients, even if they aren't coming in seeking specific help for dealing with the pandemic or COVID related mm -hmm. issues, it's almost always a secondary factor that's oh, going yeah. on. Yeah. I run into all the time. Well, I used to be able to go do this and now I can't do that. My normal was cut off. Oh, I used to like to go to the gym to get that release. Well, now right. I can't go to the gym, right. you know, whatever it may be. So normalizing the conversation in general, I think we want to be having conversations where we're like, man, this sucks. Have those conversations with those that you care about or those that you trust and realize that this is a normal totally normal experience to be having. I think when we're looking at, okay, what makes this a little bit more acute? What makes this something that actually might be more congruent with seasonal affective disorder or even just depression in general? I think that's where we look at, was I able to do these things or was I feeling a different way before? Uh -huh. So of course we're gonna be feeling sad. We're gonna have days that we're unmotivated. Are those outweighing the days that we're feeling relatively okay? Are those outweighing that this is our new reality? And we, to a certain extent, have to accept that. But when we're looking at, okay, I used to be able, maybe even at the beginning of the pandemic, I was able to at least fire up my computer, attend my work meetings. I was able to attend my virtual school. I was able to engage with my people living in my household, whatever it may be. Were you able to do those things? And are you not able to do them now? Mm -hmm. When it's really affecting your ability to live the life that you want to live, despite being able to go outside right. or, you know, go to places, that's when things are starting to get to maybe a little more towards the abnormal side. And that's where we want to be kind of seeking help. Again, I don't think it's easy yeah. necessarily to tease out, as you said, it's really a person by person case. And I think it's really important that right now people 
do a little self-reflection. I love the mood check-ins. I encourage those almost every day with my own clients, with myself, because when we wake up, we're feeling like, okay, I gotta go. I gotta do all these things for the day. Okay, take a moment to pause and check in with yourself. And if you're noticing there are a lot more days that I am not feeling good, then again, that might be time that we wanna be seeking some external help. Yeah. Um, 100%. One of the things I think I say on every single episode is um, because, you know, it made me think of it when you were talking about there are all these great ways in the world to, you know, address some of these feelings in a normal situation, like go hang out with some friends or go to the gym, work out. Those are all great, mm-hmm. you know, interventions uh, for mood in general. And, and when those things are so restricted if not impossible right now you know i've i've really been encouraging with every episode people to at least get outside just a little bit every day get a little bit of sun even a five minute walk walk around the block get outside of your house and to try to really make the effort to reach out to people don't just wait for people to call you or try really try not to not talk to people i mean there's people who are living by themselves maybe they're not working people are really um you know at risk for so many mental health issues as well as substance use issues Mm -hmm. to just try to get out and take a walk text somebody check in with them say hi to just do these little things can make a little bit of a difference on some of these mood issues a world of a difference i completely agree even you know (laughs) us chicagoans the dreaded winter is coming upon us and yeah it's going to be cold but come on, we used to be bundled up, getting on our public transport yeah. or scraping off our car to go to work. We're used to the cold. Even just as you said, five minutes outside, it can almost bring you back a little bit, yeah. make you recognize that you know, you're know you not just totally stuck. And I think that there are little things that you can still do at home. I know that a lot of different gyms, workout organizations are offering kind of free promotional at home videos. Mm -hmm, There's a lot of free content on even YouTube. I really also promote utilizing yoga. When we're looking at the circadian rhythm being out of function, that's our internal bodily processes that are out of whack. Mm -hmm. Yoga is a really good way to get those internal systems back on track. It uses mindfulness, which is something that I incorporate in my own practice and I think is something that can be really beneficial. And it's something that you can do at home in your sweatpants. No one's looking at you. No one's judging you if you can't get the pose right. And it's a a space for you to kind of just be with yourself. And I think that's really important right now. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else, Mallory, that you wanted to... I mean, you have been fantastic. All your information has been so great and so helpful. Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure to share with people or anything that we forgot to talk about today? I I mean, I wouldn't say so necessarily. I think I'm really glad that you invited me to come on this. I think it's such an important issue right now. I think it's something that a lot of people are feeling or maybe they didn't even recognize that that's how they were feeling and to normalize it and give it a name can be so powerful. Um, I would like to say, you know, I'm a therapist at the Chicago Mm -hmm. Counseling Center. We're a small private practice. We have about five clinicians right now, me being the fifth. Um, We're still accepting clients. So I think that's really important because Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of areas are kind of filling up and we treat a lot of OCD, anxiety, depression, and we're open to both children, 
adolescents, young adult, and older adult populations. So if anyone's watching this and you're thinking, okay, am I struggling right now on a level that's maybe not helping me, I'm not functioning well, whether or not it's with Chicago Counseling Center, really reach out, look at the resources that you can utilize that are tangible. Don't, you don't have to suffer through this alone. And I think if there's one beautiful thing about the pandemic, it's we've learned that although we may not be in person, we can still be connected and how can we make that happen? So again, I really appreciate you inviting me on this today. And I just wanna make sure that people are utilizing all the resources that they can because none of us can go through this alone. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much. I will definitely put your contact info as well as the Counseling Center's info um, on my on information with this video for people who are either gonna watch the video later or the podcast um, version down the road. And thank you so much. This was, this was really great. You're a really great speaker and I really, really appreciate you taking your time and sharing with everybody this information. I appreciate you taking your time. Like I said, almost 50 episodes, that's amazing. I think we need more resources like this out there for people so that they can recognize there are different tools, music therapy, um, play therapy. I use some play therapy with my younger ones. Mm -hmm. It's really important to try these different treatment modalities. Like I said, we don't have to go through this alone. So thank you so much for having me on. All right, well, thank you, Mallory. So I'm gonna X you out. Okay. That thank you. <laughs> Okay, that was Mallory Dahl. If you missed any of that, I'm going to be putting the entire uh, interview on my IGTV tab, and then it will be up very soon. I'm going to try to get this up uh, as soon as possible, since I feel like this is very uh, relevant right now. So I'm going to get it up as soon as possible on both my YouTube and as podcast forms on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, all the podcast places. You can visit Jessica Risker. Uh, that's Jessica, J-E-S-S-I-C-A-R-I-S-K-E-R.com, where you can find links to all of this stuff. And um, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope this was helpful to you. I will be back after the holiday on December 2nd with Dave Vitrano, uh, a wonderful Chicago recording engineer, Public House Sound Recordings. I hope you guys have a happy Thanksgiving. Get outside today, talk to somebody, and uh, talk to you soon. Bye.